Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Dave Corlew. I'm the senior pastor here at Arlington Countryside Church, and I want to welcome you. I'm very glad that you've chosen to be with us uh, today. You've made a good choice. Here at ACC, we're all about leading people to experience new life in Jesus Christ. And so uh, I want to tell you, if you actively engage with us today and you have an open heart and mind, I believe you'll be able to take at least baby steps towards drawing closer to Christ. Um, that's what we're hoping for for you. Um, on the screen somewhere in front of you, there's a place where you can fill out a communication card. I would really encourage you to do that. Part of the communication card involves um, being able to share prayer requests. So if there's anything going on in your life, it can be good stuff you want to share. It can be burdens that you're carrying that are pulling you down. Whatever it might be, allow us to pray for you. That's a privilege. We can get the whole church praying for you and for your loved ones. So fill out the communication card. Share the prayer request. If it's more confidential in nature, you can check that box and only our leaders will um, uh, be privy to that information, but you can be assured of their prayers as well. Well, I want to let you know uh, about this service that uh, we're taking a break today from our teaching series in the book of Second Peter. The reason why is because we originally had scheduled one of our missionaries to speak this Sunday, but they uh, decided not to come. And so we had a gap in our teaching schedule and uh, we weren't able to uh, move up uh, the messages from Second Peter. So um, we're departing from Second Peter today and our own Mike Stralo is gonna be bringing the word of God to us. And uh, Mike does great. He um, definitely has a speaking gift from God. So I'm looking forward to sitting under uh, Mike's teaching today. But anyway, that's why we're not doing Second Peter. Uh, but we'll resume next week. Just one announcement uh, I want to call to your attention is this coming Saturday, Saturday, February 6th, we're having a food drive here at the church. Uh, we're going to be open from 10 o'clock to one o'clock to receive your donations. And I hope you'll participate. We want to completely restock our food pantry. In the last 10 months, um, uh, during the duration of the pandemic, we've given away well over 1,200 bags of groceries. And friends, let me tell you this. I work the food pantry almost every single Monday. We're open Mondays and Fridays. I'm here almost every single Monday, and I tell you now, it's making a huge difference. We're helping so many people, and they are so appreciative of our help. And it's a wonderful ministry we have to our community. So we want to restock this. And so this Saturday, I hope you go to the grocery store and then drop by here, and um, you don't even have to get out of your car. We'll come out, take all your donations, and it'll be super easy, 10 to 1 this Saturday. If you want specifics, specifics on exact things that we need uh, to stock the food pantry, you can go onto our website and you should be able to track it down on the website. Pretty easy uh, food pantry. Okay. All right. Well, it's time to get started. Let's worship together uh, through song.
good to sing these songs together. And these songs that we sing aren't just words and melodies, but they carry the truth of the scriptures and they're a way for us to connect with and give praise to God. 
And in that last song, we sang of how God is both the lion and the lamb, that he is a sacrificial king willing to lay down his life for ours, and that kings and kingdoms will bow down before him. When division comes between us due to failed politicians and rulers and politics in general, I've seen people in incredible despair. My heart breaks for them because I know that they have placed their faith in someone that is destined to fail. Since man has had kings and rulers, since kings and rulers have been in place, each and every one of them has failed and each and every one of them will fail. But as we sing this next song, we know that our hope is anchored in his name and the name of Jesus and that he is the only king forever. Oh
Hey, everyone. Well, has there ever been a time where you learned a, a new word and you thought you kind of had the definition for that word, uh, but then you went to use it later on and it turned out like, oh, you, you didn't quite have it right, right? Like maybe you got the basic gist of it, but didn't have the full understanding of it and you ended up using it uh, in the wrong way. Well, we've been dealing with that a lot in my household right now uh, with our two-year-old son, Oliver. Uh, Oliver, it seems like he's learning new words, new phrases every single day, but he doesn't always use them correctly. Uh, take, for example, the other week I was eating some uh, chips and salsa. And Oliver, like every two-year-old, uh, when he saw his parent eating uh, something, he wanted to eat that exact same thing. And so I gave him some chips, uh, but of course, he wanted the salsa too. And, and I told him like, oh, no, Oliver, you, you can't have it. It's, it's too spicy. And, and he didn't know what that meant. And so I tried to explain it to him. You know, it's, it's, it's too spicy. It'll hurt. You can't have it. It's not good for you. And, and eventually, like, he got it. And he was okay with it. And he was content with just eating his chips. Uh, and so fast forward either that night or, or maybe the next night. And uh, it's bedtime, and my wife and I were uh, starting the process, the bedtime routine, brushing his teeth, uh, putting on pajamas, and, uh, and then from there, one of us will read some stories to him, sing a couple lullabies, and put them down, and we'll alternate. Uh, we'll take, you know, every other night, uh, we'll, we'll take turns on who uh, puts him down. But if it was up to Oliver, he would choose his mom every single time. He is a mama's boy through and through. And so usually he, he tries to get me to go and, and, uh, and I stay and that's that. Uh, but that night, uh, we got him in his pajamas, his teeth are brushed. And I told him like, okay, Oliver, uh, say goodnight to mom, give her a hug and a kiss. And he goes, no, data too spicy, data too spicy, data go. Right? Data too spicy. I think it's the first and only time anyone has ever called me spicy in my entire life. Uh, right? He, he kind of understood the concept. Spicy was something he shouldn't have, but he kind of missed the actual meaning of the word. Uh, and we do that, right? There are idioms that are passed down from generation to generation, and, uh, and we're so far removed from when they were kind of first spoken that we've lost some of the original meaning. Uh, take, for example, salt of the earth. If I describe someone as salt of the earth, uh, what would you think? You'd probably think, oh, they're a good person, uh, humble, hardworking, honest, down to earth. Uh, maybe you would, you know, think they're a blue collar worker. They work with their hands. Um, you know, same thing with uh, what about city on a hill or shining city on a hill? Uh, maybe you're, you think of uh, our passage today in Matthew when Jesus uses that word, but there's also a good chance uh, that your mind goes to our country, to America, and to politics, uh, because it's a phrase that has kind of made its way into our political vernacular. JFK was the first president to use it. Reagan made it famous. He said it all the time. And now, since him, just about every major politician uh, uses that phrase to describe the, gr the greatness of America. America, uh, as a country that all other countries aspire to be like. But what if I told you uh, that when Jesus spoke those words, uh, he did not have uh, good people in mind, that, that the means that we have given uh, those phrases is not what Jesus had in mind. You see, salt of the earth does not just refer to good people, 
And City on a Hill is not talking about America, uh, especially because, you know, America wasn't around when Jesus said those words. Um, and so today I want us to look at the passage in Matthew where those words are spoken. And I think what we will find is that perhaps like Oliver and the word spicy, uh, we might have a slight misunderstanding of these phrases, or at least we don't grasp the entirety of their meaning. You see, when Jesus talks about salt and light, he is talking about the role of a believer. That is, Christians are agents of God's redemptive work. So we're going to dive into that today. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an agent of God's redemptive work? But let's go ahead and read our text and pray together. So from Matthew 5, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Go ahead and pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you uh, for uh, bringing us here uh, today, even if we are scattered uh, in our different households. God, I just pray that you would uh, bless our time together, uh, that, you would, um, that you would speak to us, that your word would be proclaimed, your truth would be proclaimed. Uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as we dive in, let's set a little bit of context. So, this takes place uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, maybe uh, the most famous sermon of all time, uh, recorded in chapters 5 uh, through 7. And what's really interesting here is the structure that Matthew kind of lays out at the beginning of his gospel. You see, in his previous chapter, in, in chapter 4, uh, Jesus begins his public ministry for the first time, and he begins it by calling his disciples. And the disciples, they accept the call. They decide that they are going to follow Jesus. And after that, we're told that Jesus went around Galilee and he started uh, teaching and preaching and performing miracles everywhere he went, and the crowds gathered around him. And to escape the crowds, Jesus would often go up to the mountainside uh, to teach his disciples. And that brings us to chapter 5, and that brings us to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. Uh, you rem I'm sure you're familiar with them. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, pure in heart, etc., etc. Uh, and then we have this salt and light passage uh, that we just read. And after that, Jesus begins to give a bunch of uh, kind of new teachings or new takes on old teachings and, and really practical teachings about um, divorce, about prayer, about fasting, uh, and, and so on and so on. So the structure then looks like this. We see that the disciples are chosen and they decide to follow. Uh, we see the disciples blessed by living out the characteristics of a believer uh, in the Beatitudes. And we see the disciples obey by living out uh, and following the teachings that Jesus sets for them uh, in the remaining of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And in between that blessing and the obedience, we get this declaration. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
you see the disciples, they are not automatically salt and light just because they're good people or because of what they have done or the nation that they belong to, but rather they're only salt and light because they are followers of Jesus. And because they are followers of Jesus, this is the role they are to have on this earth. They are supposed to join in with Jesus in this kingdom work. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it perfectly when he said this, when Jesus calls his disciples the salt instead of himself, this transfers his efficacy on earth to them. He brings them into his work. What we are seeing here is the kingdom of God being implemented on earth as it is in heaven. So then that brings us to the question, what does it mean to be salt and light? What does that look like? Well, let's look at the, the characteristics, the purpose of salt to start off with. Salt was really commonplace uh, during the time of Jesus, and it was really important. It was a necessity for life. Uh, and so it did three main things. One, it uh, preserved. Uh, and so remember back then, obviously, they didn't have refrigerators. And so the, what they did to prevent meat from going rotten too quickly is that they would salt it and it would preserve the meat. It would prevent it from going rotten. Uh, but beyond that, salt would also flavor, right? It added taste uh, to the meat. And we know that. We know when something has good seasoning on it, when something has salt on it, and we know when something is bland. Uh, salt makes things taste better. It makes it taste good. And salt purified. Uh, that salt was a part of the Old Testament sacrifices as well. There was this kind of holy element to it. And so we see salt was really, really important back then. It was a necessity for life. It was even used as currency uh, because everyone had a need for salt. It made their world better. And so scholars have tried to pick up on which of these main meanings Jesus was referring to, but in reality, it was probably all of them. Uh, and we want to keep this expansive view of the purpose of salt because it helps show the expansive view of the purpose of a believer. But the common theme that we see in every single purpose uh, is that salt influences its surroundings. You notice it. Things are different because of it. This is how it should be uh, with a believer. We should make our communities better. We should make our surroundings better. People should notice us. Notice us. Things should be different because of our presence in their lives. Now, Jesus then goes on to warn uh, about the possibility of losing your saltiness, but we're actually going to come back to that. Hang tight. First, we're going to look at uh, the characteristics of light. See, uh, light had similar uh, purposes uh, in that it was really important back then, obviously. Uh, and I think there were two main purposes we see here uh, with light. And one is that it provided hope. Uh, and the second is that it spreads. Uh, it spreads to everyone in its area. And so here's what I mean by that. It provides hope. Uh, think of it back then. If you're traveling, uh, you are out probably in the desert. There's not city lights. There's not street lights. Uh, and you are kind of making this journey to the next city. And there's a reason why Jesus talks about a city on a hill. Because as you were traveling, as dusk was starting to happen, you kind of wanted to get to that city because it provided protection. It provided shelter. It provided safety. 
And so you would look up and on the hill, uh, you would see all the lanterns lit. You would see this big city, similar to how we see major cities today, right? When we're driving on the interstate towards Chicago, we can see the city far before we get there. It stands out, it lights its entire area. And it, for the people especially who live there or who are going there, it provides some comfort and some hope. And light also, it spreads, right? Jesus says, of course, if you light a lamp, you're not going to cover it up uh, and, and only light a small space, but rather you're going to light the entire room. That's the purpose of a light, for it to spread out and light the darkness. And here's the really cool thing as we think about those two purposes, is that light also had a deeper meaning uh, for Jesus in that it uh, reminded us uh, it, of the the mission to the Gentiles. You see, throughout the Old Testament, we see several uh, images of God talking about the Israelites and how they will be a light to all nations. That in a way, other nations, even though the Israelites were God's chosen people, God never meant for them to be the only ones to receive his love and blessings, but rather they were supposed to be a light to the other nations, to the Gentiles, so that the Gentiles would also know of God's redemptive love. Uh, And Isaiah 9 is a perfect passage for this, and it's interesting enough that Matthew even uses it uh, in chapter 4 of his gospel uh, to talk about the fulfillment of Jesus, that Jesus fulfilled this message in Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 2. It says this, Nevertheless, That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road and runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Here we see Jesus' confirmation that salvation through the new covenant is not just meant for the Jews, but rather for the entire world. And that now it's up for the disciples, his disciples, his followers, to be that light, to spread that light to all people, uh, that a people walking in darkness would see the light of God and the hope that it provides in salvation. And so... Christians are not meant to exclude ourselves from the world. We're not supposed to separate us uh, from the, into our own little mini communities and put up high walls and, and not let the world kind of get in and influence, but influence us. But rather, we're supposed to go out into the world. We're supposed to be in the world and, and impact it for the better. Right? We don't blame a dark room for being dark. We ask where the light switch is to make the light brighter. We don't blame meat, flavorless meat, uh, if, if it, for having no taste, but rather we ask, hey, where's the salt? Pass me the salt shaker. Let's make this thing better. That is what it looks like to be an agent of God's redemptive work. That is what it means to be a part of this kingdom that's already partially here on this earth. We are to be agents of hope and reconciliation. And Jesus makes it clear in verse 16 of how do, how do people see our light? They see it by our good deeds. They see it by our actions, by the way that we live our life. That is how we salt the world. That is how we light the world. And that, I think, ties us then right back to the Beatitudes. 
because uh, remember, here, let's read them real quick. Uh, blessed, God blesses those who are poor uh, and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. On and on we see the characteristics of a believer. This is what our lives are supposed to look like, right? So when Jesus says, yeah, they're going to see your light. You are the light of the world. They're going to see your light by your good deeds. He is asking the disciples to remember what he just said and then follow the commands I'm about to lay out uh, in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This is so important for us Uh, to realize. It is so important for us to take time to really read these words and consider this because it defines how we're supposed to live our life in this world. Uh, All of this sets this foundation for the way that a Christian is to live their life. And these, you know, these images, these messages, these commands about turning the other cheek or caring for the needy, uh, not judging others, avoiding false teachings, you know, this actually wasn't all that new. It's laid out in Isaiah uh, 58, 6 through 10. Uh, listen to these words here. Uh, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Uh, clearly, uh, Jesus was spending ta- some, t- some time in Isaiah uh, before he began his public ministry. We see uh, many of the same commands here. These principles that believers are supposed to live their life by uh, have been uh, around for uh, thousands and thousands of years now. But even though it's so clearly laid out for us, we don't always do a good job of this, right? Sometimes we do lose our saltiness. Sometimes our, our witness of God's hope and redemption and love and salvation um, is, is damaged by the way we live our, our lives. You see, it stands to reason that if good works is how we show it, uh, is how we show our light and, and salt, then bad works is how we lose it, um, But what do these bad works look like? How do they happen? And I think uh, it happens that we lose our saltiness when we forget our role on earth. It is when we start to prioritize other purposes, other missions, other priorities, and we forget uh, protocol number one for what our life is supposed to be about. And there are many different reasons why this happens, but I just want to focus on one today, and that Uh, is arrogance. I think this begins to happen when we as believers become a little too arrogant. And here's what I mean by that. 
Uh, and the best way I can explain it is to uh, tell you a little bit about uh, the college that I went to. So I'm a Wheaton College grad. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, Wheaton, it's a Christian college here in the suburbs. And uh, an unfortunate nickname uh, it has been given over the years is the Harvard of Christian Colleges. Uh, Wheaton, uh, for the longest time, and I think still does, has this reputation for being a high priority on academics. That is where believers went who are really serious about their faith. And, and it was really hard to get in, and it, it set a really high standard for uh, Christian colleges. And so while, uh, you know, I was there, you know, constantly we were told by professors and chapel speakers that, you know, you guys are the best of the best, the cream of the crop. And so it wouldn't surprise you then if I told you that, unfortunately, uh, Wheaton uh, graduates kind of got a reputation of being pretty arrogant. Uh, pretty full of themselves uh, when they left college. Because if you're told for four years over and over again that you're the best of the best, you do tend to start believing it. Uh, and it's funny, like I, I've met so many people in the area who are familiar with Wheaton. And uh, it's funny, like the, I see the initial look uh, they have on their face. So they'll make comments before about interactions they've had with Wheaton grads before. And it's it's not always very pleasant. In fact, I went to work at Trinity, another Christian college here in the suburbs, uh, after I graduated from Wheaton. And I developed the habit of when I introduced myself to people there and, uh, you know, they would, since I was a recent college grad, they would ask, like, oh, did you go to Trinity? And I would say, no, I went to Wheaton. And I would have to kind of like make fun of Wheaton uh, to earn their trust and respect, uh, to kind of disarm them. Otherwise, they just had this, oh, geez, another Wheaton grad. And I think sometimes that happens with believers. If we're told over and over again, we are the, uh, the only hope of the world, that it is believers who prevent the world from becoming rotten, uh, that it is believers who are right, that we have God on our side and everyone else is in the dark, uh, they're wrong, and they just are completely misguided, and uh, without us, they are in trouble. Well, uh, we got to analyze that. Because on the one hand, there's some truth to it, but we have to remember it's only true because of the spirit at work within us, right? It's not because of our own abilities. It's not because we're special, but it's because God first moved in our life uh, and that we have the spirit within us. And that's why we can be a witness to God's kingdom, an agent of redemptive work. It was only after the disciples accepted the call that Jesus declared them salt and light. Remember, they weren't salt and light first, and that's why Jesus chose them as his disciples, but rather they were chosen first, and then they became salt and light. And it's the same way with us, that we need to remember uh, that it is only by the grace of God that we know what, uh, what the gospel says, what the truth of God says, what the love of God looks like. And when we forget that, when we start believing, you know what? I am amazing. The world is lucky to have me. Uh, you know, they are so lost and wrong. Uh, and, and like, I'm totally right in everything I do because God is on my side. But when we start to believe that, we create this us versus them mentality. And we use these images and languages of, of fighting and battles and war. And, and all of a sudden, the very people we are trying to reach for the kingdom, the very people we are supposed to be loving and serving, they've now become our enemies. And that is so broken. That is so messed up that we're not trying to help them see the transformative love and grace of God. We're trying to beat them. And we forget that 
we are broken and fallen too. We have the same inherent sinful nature that the rest of the world does. We are just as prone to being wrong and misguided. It's just that we're supposed to know better, that we should be open to the Spirit instructing and correcting us. Yes, there are times uh, when the world will disrespect us because of our faith, but we have to remember that Jesus was rejected for his compassion, his love, his association with the lowly and sinners, and for rebuking the powerful and self-righteous. If that is why we're being rejected, so be it. But if we are being uh, rejected or disrespected for being judgmental, bigoted, a hypocrite, apathetic, partisan, arrogant, mean, and condemning, then we need to reassess. We aren't being disrespected because we're following Jesus. We're being disrespected because we're not. This concept is so important for us to remember that we need to take time to reassess our life and and our purpose of it. Because this is a big deal because it impacts our witness. Rather than driving people toward Jesus because of our lives, we can drive them further away. Remember our role as salt and light. We're not just supposed to try to get people to behave better. We're supposed to show people Jesus through our transformed lives. It's about us being good, but good is defined by Jesus and by one's relationship with God through him. It's about transforming our environment through the qualities laid out in the Beatitudes and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Love, peacemaking, humility, meekness, and righteousness. It is about turning the other cheek and loving our enemy. It's not about defending our honor or our tribe if we feel attacked. It's about picking up our cross daily and following Jesus. But this is a lot easier said than done. Am I right? It is easy to say like, yeah, I follow my cross. I pick up my cross daily and follow Jesus. But it's a lot harder in reality to practice that. How do, we ter- how do we determine if we are salt and light or not? Well, it takes some self-awareness. It takes some self-reflection. You see, we all have blind spots. We have areas in our life uh, that are deeply flawed, and yet we are blind to them. And we hurt other people by it. And the only way uh, we can understand and begin to see these blind spots is if Uh, people kind of point them out to us. If people gently correct us, we need to be open to our flaws. We need to be open to receiving some gentle critique. We need to be open to the fact that we don't have it all right, Uh, that there are areas I need to grow in and improve on. And this happens in Christian community. Uh, This happens when we have friends uh, who we are, feel safe with and comfortable with and who we have given permission to point out times where we're falling a little short. We have given them permission to say like, hey, hey Mike, you know, sometimes uh, when you get into to disagreements with people, you, you tend to get a little too fired up um, and it, it comes across a more aggressive than you realize. Uh, I need to be open to receiving that. And what we need to do is, is not just if we do receive some constructive feedbacks, uh, our first stance can't just be like, no, 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 you're wrong. Uh, that's not true. Or you know what, you do that too. But rather we need to stop and pause and, and consider, yeah, that might be right. Let me think through that. Can you give me some more examples of that? Can, can we dive into that? 
if we truly want to analyze, if we are being salt uh, and light, we need uh, to reflect. We need to pause and consider and examine our lives. Remember, we are asking, how can I, as a light of the world, be brighter? Uh, not how the rest of the world can, uh, can be better, but rather, how can I, as a light of the world, be brighter? And when we get this right, transformation happens. When we remember our role, when we take the effort to grow in our faith, people will see that in our lives and we will have the opportunity to talk about the gospel. This is what it means for the church to be missional, right? It's not just about mission trips and going overseas, uh, but rather it's right here in our backyard. The impact happens in our community, that the boundaries between the church and its community should be porous, uh, that, we, that our lives and our impact should, should bleed over and flow out into our community. And like salt, we should make it better. And like, like light, we should be a hope that people are drawn to. And this is done through relationships. That just as God is present with us, so then we should be present with other people. The best witness we have as the church is not our good music uh, or our programs that meet needs or the quality of the building that we worship in, but rather the best witness we have on earth is our transformed lives. It is when we, there is something different about us that people are drawn to that, and that creates opportunities for us to talk about why our lives are transformed. Not because of anything I, I've done, not because I'm so amazing or special, but because of the work God has started in my life that I am trying to cultivate uh, through discipleship. So, how do we do this? What are some practical tips we can take into this week to uh, be better salt and better light? And the questions I would ask you to, to ask yourself this week to reflect on is, what am I doing to grow my faith? And what am I doing to help grow or spark faith in others? And so maybe one way you can do that is by reading the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and read it over and over again this week. Read it every day and, and really reflect on it. Read it slowly, ponder it, and think through, what are aspects of this that I'm, I think I'm doing pretty well? And what are aspects that maybe I'm, I'm struggling with? And then find people you trust in your life, uh, your spouse, uh, friends, your growth group, whatever it might be, and ask them the same questions. Hey, what are areas you think I'm doing well here? And what are areas I need to improve on? I want to be open to some feedback here. Uh, and then speaking of growth groups, if you're not a part of one, I would highly recommend that you make the decision this week to fit it into your schedule and join one because we grow as Christians. We grow as disciples when we are in community with other believers, with other disciples. Uh, we're not going to do it by ourselves. We need people around us. We need that authentic friendship where we can safely challenge each other in a very uh, healthy way. And then get out in your community this week. Give, volunteer, uh, find out ways that you can participate in good works being done within your community. But go and spread your light. Go and salt the earth. Uh, finally, I want to leave you uh, with an illustration here as we wrap up our time. Uh, this summer, I've gotten, I got really into uh, grilling. You know, with everything shut down, there wasn't much to do. We weren't really going out to restaurants uh, as much anymore. And so I decided we had a little Weber charcoal grill, and I'm going to start grilling uh, new meats and grilling things I've never grilled before. 
And, and I quickly decided that, oh, I wanna uh, figure out how to grill brisket. I wanna smoke brisket. Because uh, you can do it on a charcoal grill and you know it's it's simple in concept. You put all the charcoal on one side and you put the brisket uh, on the other side and and then you slowly cook it uh, over hours and hours and hours. And anyone uh, who has experience with barbecuing will tell you you need all right, so it's three things. Uh, pepper is the is one of them. Uh, it's not really relevant for this illustration, so uh, we're just gonna kind of ignore it the rest of the way. Uh, but in addition to pepper, you need salt. And you need fire, light, right? Salt and light. That those, uh, those elements takes a piece of meat that is tough, that would be hard to eat, that for the longest time wasn't considered that good of a cut of meat, and it transforms it into something amazing, mouth-watering. Uh, now, this isn't easy, right? It takes time to kind of perfect your method to figure out the seasoning, the level of seasoning you want to put on. You got to slowly kind of pat it in and make sure it really sticks. And then once you put it on the grill, you know, you're constantly, you're fiddling with your fire, you're fiddling with your light, uh, you're adding more charcoal, you're adjusting the vents, and it takes hours and hours and hours just to cook one brisket, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 hours, let alone to then start trying to perfect your technique and get better and better at it. But when you do, when you combine these elements of salt and light and pepper, uh, you turn this raw, tough piece of meat into something that is just wonderful to partake in. And that is the impact we should have on our world as believers, as salt and light. We should transform it into something that's almost unrecognizable because of our influence. So church, go and salt the earth. Go light the world. Feed the hungry. Care for the sick. Be kind to strangers. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Stand up for the marginalized. Rise for the broken. Be an agent of redemption. Jesus waits for us there. At this time, we're going to share in communion together. And so if you haven't already done so, we're going to give you 60 seconds right now to go collect uh, the elements that you'll use for communion. A little piece of bread or a bit of a cracker and some juice. Uh, go and get that and we'll um, uh, go into communion in one minute. I so appreciated Mike's sermon from Matthew chapter 5. One of the things that really uh, stood out to me as I was preparing for uh, leading our communion time was uh, the idea that we are 
light. We are to be light for God. And uh, Mike brought out the point that light was indicative of God's redemptive plan of salvation for the entire world. Uh, light often represents truth. And so the truth of God, the redemptive plan of God going out all over the world. And uh, there's many uh, Old Testament passages that, that uh, uh, show that to be true. God's redemptive plan from the very beginning when sin first entered into the world, it was God's intent to save us, to redeem us from the mess we had gotten ourselves into. And uh, so thankful for that, that our God is God who does not desire for any to perish, but for all people to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And so in communion, we're celebrating the redemptive plan of God that was revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. And we know that this redemptive plan involved the giving of a life, a ransom, and that that life was God incarnate, Jesus Christ, that he came to earth for the express purpose of giving his life. And communion celebrates that. Communion remembers that, that Jesus, through no fault of his own, was condemned, was brutally nailed to a cross, uh, and it was done for us. He was our substitute, and it was through the giving of his body and through the shedding of his blood that you and I can be called children of God. You and I can be assured of eternal life. You and I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are forgiven and we are in right standing with God. And so, this communion time is a time for us to remember the tremendous love that God has for us in the sending of his son and the sacrificial death of Christ on our behalf, thanking him for that and remembering it's through that that the light of God broke into our lives and brought us redemption. So at this time, I would like to pray for the bread. Please join me. Father God, we thank you so much for this bread, which represents um, the body of your son, Jesus Christ, that Lord, he came to earth and took on human flesh for the express purpose of being able to die in our place. And so, Father, we're so grateful for all that this bread represents. We love you and we thank you for the gift of Christ. Amen. And so Christ, on the night on which he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat this. This is my body, which is given for you. And so in the same manner, Christ took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant or the new agreement in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this cup, which represents the shed blood of Christ. Lord, we know that your word teaches without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, Father, for that precious blood that cleansed us, that made us clean, that made us whole, we are so grateful. In Christ's name, amen.
And on that cross of Calvary Where every burden has been defeated And every wretched heart redeemed You drown our sin in seas of crimson We've had the joy of worshiping together through singing, through sitting under the teaching of God's word, through uh, sharing communion together, and now we worship through the giving of our finances, through the giving of our gifts. And so please join me as we commit our weekly offering to the Lord. Father God, we're so grateful to be partners with you in the work of the gospel. Father, we're so grateful that our church sits within a community that desperately needs you. And Father, help us in our community as a church to be salt and light to those around us. Father, it's our privilege to donate towards the work of the ministry. And so, Father, help us, as always, to give generously, to give sacrificially, to give cheerfully. Father, see to it that this money is used wisely to further your kingdom and bring glory to your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we wrap things up today, um, I wanted to um, uh, have some time with Adam. Uh, You might remember that uh, about a month ago, we announced uh, that Adam had resigned his position here as worship arts pastor. Um, the news has been hard. Um, it's a huge loss for our congregation. And Adam, you made a lot of people sad. I hope you feel good about that, buddy. No. <laughs> Sorry. That's yeah. horrible of me. That's horrible of me. I, I apologize. But I'm telling the truth. Made a lot of people sad. We're going to miss you. I'd rather people be sad than, than glad. That exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. Uh, Adam's done a wonderful job here and uh, has impacted so many lives. And uh, yeah, we know that God moves people in and out and uh, as he sees fit to further his kingdom. And so, Adam, I'm super excited, even though I hate to see you go, I'm super excited about what's next for you. So could you take a minute and just share with us where you're going and what you're going to be doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be moving to Denver, Colorado, uh, working for a company called Churchfront. And the mission there is to help people uh, lead gospel-centered and tech-savvy worship. So I'll be spending most of my time doing uh, coaching and instructing, so making videos on how to do different things like live streaming and audio mixing and uh, coaching. So I'll get to, I'll be doing Zoom forever. You know, that's not going to go away with uh, the pandemic for me, but uh, I'm really looking forward to kind of expanding my influence there and being able to um, help a lot of worship ministries out. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds perfect for you. It really does. Yeah. And you'll be able to influence people all around the world in that in that ministry, yeah. won't you? Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, um, Adam, um, as we say goodbye, we wanted to uh, give you a gift. This is just a small, I wish it could be more, but it's a small token of our appreciation for all that you've done for our church. And so thank take you. that with our blessing. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think, and, and thank you to the whole congregation since... Since day one, Alex and I have uh, felt really loved and, and welcomed into the, the church family here. So, um, yeah, on behalf of, of both of us, I just want to say thank you to everyone for, for your gratitude. And um, just as an encouragement, I, I want to say to you that um, as you continue to, to worship here at ACC, I, as I'm, as some of my last words, I suppose, would be, to, would be from John 
423 and 24, just to, to continue to worship in spirit and truth and to continue to, to seek God in, in all the, the ways that you can. So, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, here's what we're going to do. And I want all of you to participate, okay? Uh, we're going to uh, pray for Adam and for his wife, Alex. And we're going to lay hands on Adam right now. And I'm going to be able to do it personally, physically. But I'm going to invite you, if it's not too weird for you, to reach out your hand towards the screen, symbolically laying your hands upon Adam um, in a sign of blessing, in a sign of support. And so, Adam, why don't we stand and uh, let's pray right now, okay? Father God, I want to thank you for you bringing the Bronics to ACC just over three years ago. And Father, in that amount of time, the influence that they were able to have, the blessing they were able to be. And Father, we thank you so much for their lives. Lord, I thank you for Adam. It's been a joy to uh, serve shoulder to shoulder with him. And Father, to see how you have so gifted him for worship ministry. And we thank you for his being here. Father, as he moves on, we ask that you would go before him and provide for him everything that he needs, that God, you would watch over him, keep his heart pure, and continue to help him grow spiritually and develop his giftedness. And Father, in this new venture, this new ministry he's going to be a part of, we ask that you would multiply his influence, that his influence could literally go around the world in training worship leaders and tech leaders um, to serve you. And so, Father, we're so grateful for Adam and um, we ask your generous blessing upon him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And now, as Adam's last official act as worship pastor at ACC, I've asked him to give the closing blessing to give the benediction today. So, Adam? Yeah. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace and serve him.